Welcome to Arash's World. Today we have a special guest, Dr. Karen Sook, who's going to talk about wisdom and leadership. Uh, welcome to Arash's World, Karen. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great, thank you. So um, I would like to get started with uh, you introducing yourself in any way you see fit. Who are you, what do you do, and what are you interested in? Okay, it's a big question. So, yes. so I will start with a, saying that I'm the owner and founder of Wisdom to Lead, a consulting company. In the last 20 years, I'm working with leading firms and companies to change process and promote growth. I've conducted a PhD, actually a case study, a two years case study in a IT company, which my leading question was, what is the role of leaders nowadays in leading financially successful organizations alongside motivating the employees for meaningfulness and intrinsic motivation? And I found that mindfulness is a crucial element that we need to embrace as leaders, as individuals in order to lead cutting edge organizations. And I developed a mindfulness-based leadership course and retreat, which we facilitate in global organizations like Checkpoint, Baron, Siemens, et cetera. And I just launched my new book, Mindfully Wise Leadership, The Secret of Today's Leader. So this is where I'm coming from. I'm connecting the consciousness and mindfulness world with the business and leadership world. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. So mindfulness and wisdom, those are two and leadership. Those are things that I'm very fascinated about. And um, I, I think there is a, a, um, there is hope that a lot of people are taking that path now, a more holistic path and of changing the structure too, because we know that the, the old structure worked in its time, but it's not as effective as uh, uh, your uh, um, um, ideas would be. And um, let's talk a bit more about what is it that you're offering without giving too many secrets. It's, we want people to, to look for the book, Mindfully Wise Leadership, The Secret of Today's Leaders. But let's, let's just see, what is mindfulness for you? How would you define it, uh, especially in a context of a, of a company and, and leadership? Yeah. So, you know, the classical definition of uh, Dr. John Kabat-Zinn for mindfulness is the ability to be present in the present moment intentionally, not judgmentally. However, the definition that I bring to mindfulness is the ability to be aware of an experience that we are going through. It can be a thought that runs through my mind, an emotion that I'm feeling right now, a process that I'm going through in a not judgmental way and without being managed by it. So, for example, you know, it's like Viktor Frankl say, says, it's the space between the stimulations and the response, right? As we brought up this space, we have a free choice to choose our behavior. And actually, we, all day long, we are triggered, right? For an example, if I'm working in a company and I have a colleague that touches my buttons and every time I see him, I get angry. So instead of shouting at him and acting upon my anger, being mindful, it, mean, it means to take a deep breath to this feeling, understanding that a part of me is now angry and deciding what do I want to do with it? Maybe I want to pause for five minutes and come back fresh to the conversation. Or maybe I want to speak my emotion and tell him, you know, Roger, I'm really angry right now. And I think it's better that we take them off. So it's being able to choose and I'll be active, being proactive instead of reacting. I love it. And uh, so a uh, choice is important here. A lot of people are triggered and they act or basically react immediately towards yeah. that. And we've seen it and we see it all the time. And so when you're in a position of, of leadership, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of 
frustration. And uh, again, that moment, and I think you call it dialogue space too, before you talk, maybe before you communicate, just make mm -hmm. sure that you're not just driven by your fears, anxieties, frustrations, negative feelings, and try to, to see it in, in, a, in a different way. I think that is hugely important instead of just reacting quickly to the situation. And we, we, we see it in the structures too. When, when they're angry, they shout at you and so on. But it's actually not, it's not productive at all. <laughs> at all. <laughs> yes, you know, it's being mindful and present. It's the ability to have presence and not to be moved by the winds of change. It's to have an anchor, right? And when someone triggers us or a situation triggers us, to choose what to do with it. And record, according to the dialogue space, I found it as a central tool for leaders to lead it. Nowadays, uh, innovative company. What does it mean? It means that when we have a, a situation like a, we're developing a product or a process that we are not sure about it and we have different viewpoints about it, so it's actually creating space and inviting people to show up fully with their experience regarding this issue and to respect each other and enabling ourselves not to know the answer. You know, usually leaders we're taught that they need to have all the answers, but we can't anymore, right? So we need to be able to hold the tension and to be in the uncertainty area and to allow people to be there. And from being there, mindful and present and listening to each other and respecting different voices and bringing ourselves fully, something new can emerge. Otherwise we're doing more of the same, right? We're not really innovating. Yeah, and, and so, so one thing I, I've noticed, there's a lot of micromanagement where I, I think the, the leaders and, and, and the corporate and the executives, they um, uh, don't really trust uh, the employee. They don't think they will get it done. They think they're probably also lazy and they have all these preconceived notions uh, about them, which are generally tend to be negative. And so um, how can we deal with that, that the, the relationship between the employer and employee changes so that, and, and the, the employee has also various uh, preconceived notions about the employer. So uh, that is something, finding that balance in between. So how can we do that on, on both sides? Yeah. So first of all, I really believe that it starts within ourselves. We need, first of all, to trust ourselves, mm -hmm. to be mindful and present and even to be vulnerable and to show up fully. And once I trust myself, I can come to my employee and be transparent with them and tell them, look, this is a situation. I'm not sure what the right solution right is right now. What do you think about it? And creating a frank communication and open communication. And I think communication is a crucial element to create trust because if we don't communicate, each and every one holds his own story in his mind. And, you know, we're starting to create barriers between us. But once we do communicate and there's no over communication, especially now in the Zoom, in the hybrid workplace, we need to over communicate. Otherwise we won't be able to engage people and to create trust. So for me, this is a crucial tool. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And so, but, uh, and you mentioned earlier, so the, I think one of the problems is also perfectionism and uh, being afraid of showing insecurity or weakness. Mm -hmm. And that is a hard thing to do for many people. And especially when you're in a leadership position, you say, I have to know everything. I have to have all the answers. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm in education, I've, I've worked in education. And so when you uh, accept that you don't know something, you already lost points also in the view of the students. They say, how come you don't know the answer to that? But that's actually a sign of strength of being able to accept that and say, um, I'm not perfect. 
but we do have that drive for perfectionism. So uh, what would be a possible antidote? Uh, and mindfulness would be, I think, very important for that. To, to reach that. But it's also in society, it's all around us, right? That drive for perfection. Yes, but I'm not sure it's actually the drive for perfection that don't allow us to show up fully. You know, we need to feel a safe environment that Tifa will show up and say, look, I don't know all the answers. What do you think about it? I would, people won't use it against me. You know, this is the essence of trust, right? So it's creating mm -hmm. a, a environment that nourishes trust, nourishes respect. And once I feel safe, I can be able to bring myself. So it's not the perfectionism, it's the being able to show up fully. And you know, it's something we need to uh, evolve toward it because it's not a comfort zone, right? Mm -hmm. A comfort zone is to show a coherent identity mm -hmm. that I know everything, I have it all in hand, but that's not the situation anymore. We can't mm -hmm. have it all, right? We don't know what the answers, what can we do? Yeah, and, and we see it globally too. And uh, scientists who always used to have the answers and we trusted them, and now they're saying, well, we just don't know. This is a situation we're, we're trying to figure out. But again, we have to work together to, to reach it. Um, but a lot of people also um, become workaholics. They have to, they feel they have to work a lot. They never stop. They, they don't have a balance between their life and their work. Um, how can we find that balance? And what can we tell ourselves to not fall into that trap of overworking? I, again, it come, comes back to listening to ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. To our own experience. If I feel burned out, I don't need to continue work, working or to wait till I will collapse. I need to listen to myself and say, okay, this is the capacity I want to work. And from now on, I want to be with my kids and with my friends, with family. I want to have life. So we need to have the right boundaries for ourselves. So it's a personal boundaries, you know, each and every one acts differently. But the invitation, I think, it's to listen to ourselves. If I feel great, if it's, you know, sometimes we do uh, work a lot and sometimes we can work less. It's in the periods. It's not a, a something, I, can I say, uh, work eight hours today and tomorrow five hours. No, it's, it's it changes. But I think the main anchor we need to have to listen to ourselves if we feel well with it. If not, so something doesn't work well and we need to change it. Yes, absolutely. The old concept is the nine to five uh, office hours. And so you work in the office for that time. And it seems like you're doing time. It's it's not really related to productivity. It's like, I just serve my time right? and time is money and I get paid for it and that's it. But that doesn't help anyone, neither myself, nor the uh, employer, nor the company. So I think that should be another shift, a paradigm shift of like, seeing a productivity and work uh, in a different way, not just to measure it with time here. That's for sure. You know, first of all, there's a new movement. I know uh, that's starting four days work yeah. a week. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you're going toward this uh, to work less. And even when we're working, you know, at, at the end of the day in the corporate world and the companies, you need to give your employees the freedom to do it the way they want to and give them the time and ask for the results and enable them to space to create it on their own. So people are much more productive and they have their techniques to, to do it. And when it works for them, someone loves to work early in the morning, someone likes to work later. So, you know, it's finding the right balance for you. And once you find the right balance for you and the company, it works well. So there needs to be also an alignment. 
Mm-hmm. And the the autonomy to to also to give uh, your employees autonomy, so so they can they can kind of pick and choose as well. Of course, to to a certain degree, but uh, I think that when you do have autonomy, it makes you feel happier. You feel that you're contributing more, and you will do it more sincerely. And you say, "Yes, I'm doing this because I believe in the company. I believe in this leadership." And the opposite, then you sabotage it and you just say, I did my time, I'm done. I don't want to do anything more. And I think that is that kind of like trust. Uh, I think employees need to feel that kind of like, uh, yes, I'm supported, but also I'm given um, uh, a bit of decision making there. I have a choice here. I can choose minor things. I can have a plant on my desk and things like that, because that makes a huge difference. For sure. First of all, we're talking nowadays a about self-management, you know, at the end of the day, each and every one needs to manage himself and not have outside external control because once there is external control, I can't take ownership and responsibility for what I'm doing. So the way to do it is, yes, as you said, you know, it's a nice, uh, uh, something that I heard nice metaphor that people when they are standing on a high wolf, if there won't be a a gather, they won't reach to the end of the roof because they will be afraid to fall, right? But if there will be boundary there, they will explode. They will go to the edge in order to explore themselves. And it's the same as in the workplace. You know, you need to give them a safety. You need to give boundaries, but you need to give them space to evolve, to be creative, to bring themselves fully. And then the employer will also win from it because they will really bring the added value. Otherwise, you have cogs, you don't have creative people. And you know, at the end of the day, we're working from our mind nowadays and from our heart. And we want to be passionate and compassionate and create, creative. So to bring the most of ourselves in order for the company to flourish. So I think it's finally balance. You know, what I found in my research and talking about in my book, a crucial skill nowadays for leaders and individuals is the ability to hold tensions, you know, because the modern world is full of tension uh, between the long term and the short term, right? Between the employees' needs and the organization needs, between speed and quality. So, and the main uh, tension that I found that characterized the new leadership is between the doing mode and the being mode. Because as leader, we need we learned that we need to have the right resource to do the right thing, to be busy, busy, busy. And the new leadership say, no, stop. We need to learn to pause, to listen, to accurate fine-tune our way or products or services. And then we're doing out of presence, out of being, and it's much more productive. And we invest minimum effort and gain maximum result and are really creative and enjoy what we do. So this is for me the solution for the new generations. Mm-hmm. I think there are two things that are at play here. One is uh, competition. So we, we want to be competitive. The, the problem of that is that we're competing with everybody, even the own company and even with the fellow employees. So there's not that kind of bonding there, that kind of trust also, because if, if I can be better than you, then it's kind of like in the uh, business, uh, when, when you see businesses where they say, okay, I want to be the employee, I want to be the best one employee of the month, and then you want to be it, but then you're like competing in terms of getting to the top, but it's not really serving the whole purpose. There's no unity there. So, uh, and that kind of competition, I think it's good to have the others as a competitor, but not within the company itself. 
So it's a new definition, cooperation, you know, cooperation and finally the balance we talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing is, I think our own ambitions, though. Um, I, uh, there are a lot of people that that uh, idea is ingrained in us. Time is money. And you think if I devote more time, I will get more money. And we have uh, leaders who just don't have time for friendships or relationships or anything like that because they're fully focused. I need to make the most out of this. And that actually is counterproductive because uh, when you are actually overworked, you fail to be creative. You fail to think, you fail to involve the unconscious uh, of, in, in terms of decision-making and ideas. And so I've, I've read the best thing is to be slightly um, kind of um, underworked, uh, like a bit underworked, uh, because then you give yourself space and room. And it's, it's that, it's that moment in the shower where you get the brilliant idea. It's that moment when you're taking yeah. a walk and uh, we're not taking advantage of that, especially leaders. I don't think they are. They're just constantly driven by, I have to come up with a solution instead of relaxing and let the solution come to you. That's so great. I so completely agree with you because you know, in my in one of the company when I conducted the research, one of the programmer told me, you know, when I get stuck and I can't figure out what to do, I leave the computer and go to play bowling, bowling, uh, billiard. They had a billiard room, and then I have an epiphany and the solution emerge. So it's amazing. Sometimes we need to take ourselves out of the situation in order to enable space. And you know, when I'm working with leaders and managers, I'm telling them, put in the, in the calendar 30 minutes time with yourself, sitting in front of the sea, and they look at me like, are you crazy? We don't have time for it. But it's, you know, it's the opposite. Once you will create place and space, you will be much more productive and creative. And we need to change our mindset because we, we learned that we need to run after our tails in order yeah. to... I, I watched, and you mentioned violin. I watched a um, uh, biography on Albert Einstein, the, the series Genius. And so his greatest ideas come in like ordinary moments. He's taking the elevator and he has one of his great theories then, or he's playing the violin as well. So I think it's really like making sure we do have a work-life balance and to take time off. One of the things I used to do for a while is I wouldn't take a day off. I work every day, every single day. And it really stressed me out. It's, it, it was a, a really close to, to a burnout. But then now I have like a strict rule. I say Sundays are completely off limits. I have to do no work and even not think about it. And that space is so relaxing because then I go back to with more enthusiasm, with more energy to the, to the work and look forward to it instead of being dragged down by it. That's amazing. And you know, I really talked about uh, the fact that leaders don't have time to connection and friends. And I think it's it's a pity because at the end of the day, sitting with people talking and fueling ourselves with what we love, as you said, we'll have more energy and we even be more productive. So we do need to find, even if it's counterintuitive and we feel it's not productive, we need to create this place and think what fuels us. Maybe go jogging, maybe meet a friend for a coffee, maybe go to your parents. I don't know. Find what makes you feel alive, or not only your job. And it will also increase your ability to be more creative on the job. So yeah, I think we agree that, on that. Would that be like also looking at the spire model of including all aspects of the self, the spire model of like spirituality, physical, relational, emotional, and so on. I'm finding so it's not just that the, the leadership doesn't just depend on the work itself and the workplace, 
but it goes beyond that. So to, to be an effective leader, it should also be across the spectrum in, in pretty much all areas of your life. Would you agree with that, that that is really necessary for uh, being really fully there, fully present? I believe that yes, because you know, we're complete persons and we have different, I always like to give a metaphor like a pizza, right? We have a, you have an onion pizza, a, a cucumber pizza or whatever, and you want to bring all your pieces to the workplace. And if you ignore a few of them, uh, you, you create split with, within yourself. And once you're full and you feel you have great relationships at home and great friends and great work, so you are complete, a complete person. And if you neglect one of your aspects, so you neglect part of you, so you're not coming, you're not showing up fully to your workplace because you're not connected to your whole self. This is how I see it. What do you think about it? I think uh, a lot of people now, that's why we have people who are resigning their jobs because they realize there's a mismatch. Uh, this is not what gives me my life meaning. And this is not what gives me pleasure. And so, and they, so they switch. And I think that is uh, the pandemic has given us that time for self-reflection. Uh, it is forced self-reflection. And uh, I, I'm, I'm somebody who loves to self-reflect ever since I was a teen. I would just constantly think about things and analyze things. And this is what I want to do. But now it's great because the whole world has come to a standstill to do that. And we see the effects and it might look, it looks chaotic right now, but it will sort itself out. And I think it is going in the right direction. The fact that we're talking about four day week, four day work uh, weeks is amazing because this was something I thought, you know, a weekend is, is often just not enough to, to recharge and get back to it. And the fact that we're talking about, you can work from home and remotely. So these are completely new ideas I think that are very helpful. And it, again, helps us to connect with who we are and we should uh, love what we do and do what we love. I think that uh, that match needs to be there. That's, I also believe, you know, I believe that each, each and every one of us is a present that it came to bring to the, this world. And actually, I think the coronavirus now caused us to pause and ask ourselves, is my work is meaningful? Do I bring myself fully? Do I invest the time, the right time in, in, in my life because we understood that life is precious and we don't want to waste them anymore. So I also believe that it's a good thing that we are going, although it's like a chaotic period, I believe it's for the better and enabling people to be in the fine tune the path, right? If they're not in the right job only because of the money, they're wasting the time. They don't mm, bring yes. the added value, they don't enjoy. So what is all life about? Yeah, and, and, and that, that connection with money, because for, for many, that is the sign of success. Say, the more money I have, the more successful I am. And now we see, no, it's not. And it's definitely not a source of happiness, because a lot of people who have money, they actually seem uh, less happy than, than people who have less. So, so that's kind of interesting. But I think the pandemic also showed us how we're all interconnected. In, in different ways. So when it, bad things happen, and when it started, it was in China, it was far away. Oh, okay, that's their problem, not ours. Yes, it is, you know? And in terms of also relating to others, because I, I can do Zoom conversations with you in Israel, which is amazing. And yeah. which a few years back, we wouldn't, it was there, the technology was there, but we wouldn't have thought of it. It didn't seem normal, it seemed like force, why would we do this? But now it's perfectly normal. Yes, it created a, 
a big transformation also in our mind, right? Because before we needed to fly it in order to create a meeting and now it's okay to do a, a management meeting on Zoom exactly. worldwide. So yes, it actually changed a lot of things for the better. That otherwise it would have taken us like 10 years to embrace it, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that kind of like interconnectedness we, we should take to the workplace as well and see each other as a team, as a unity. And instead yeah. of just the different elements and um, and also, again, autonomy, I, I think that's hugely important because the triangle structure of the hierarchy that we have, uh, I am the boss and you have to do what I say. It is not working. It's old fashioned. And it's actually will be ridiculed at this point by the employee. They say, you know what, where are you from? What generation are you from? This is not how we do things now. Yes, because the leadership change, you know, if the traditional leadership was based on external power, like title, hierarchical relationship, etc. Now, like the coronavirus is transforming the global world, the new generations are transforming the, uh, the workplace. They said, okay, we're not playing the game you play till now. We want to feel meaningfulness. We want a, great, a good integration between our leisure time and our work. We want to have an impact on the world. So we are not playing this game anymore. And you know that the new leadership actually requires us to connect to our internal power and to create relationships based on trust and partnership, right? To engage people from a deeper place that's really meaningful for them. To adopt a growth mindset. Try new things, sometimes succeed, sometimes fail, but continue on. So we see that we head into a new leadership that requires us to connect better to ourselves and from this place to others. And another thing you talked about is the community. I think what gives mean, meaning to people is being part of community. So the new workplaces require to create a, a community, like people connecting people from a deeper place that I'm coming to the work. You see me as a person, as a whole person, not only as a functional person. If I'm going through a tough time, you can ask me, how, how are you doing? I see you're struggling. How can I be there for you? So I will feel better connected to you and I will want to help you next time that you will have something because you saw me, not because of the functional aspect, right? Yes, yes. And it's when, when you go to a workplace like that, you're excited because say, I'm going to talk to these people. I'm going to share things that happened to me over the weekend and so on. But then there are others where you go to the workplace and they're just like fully focused on the computer. They just, they don't even say hi or they don't respond to you. And it's just like, it's discouraging. And you say, it shouldn't be like that. You know, we should have a, a workplace where we are quite open. And I think one thing I will mention too is diversity. And there is this push for diversity, which is very beneficial for leadership and for companies because they will provide different points of views. And before you just have the typical leaders, but now it's more in terms of age, in terms of race, in terms of nationality, it's much broader. And that is a huge benefit for everyone. Yes, that's great. And I, in my book, I call it the dialogue space. I really mm -hmm. believe that it's a central tool for leaders. Mm -hmm. to lead nowadays, to listen to different voices, as you say, to enable new things to emerge, to be present with the uncertainty and allow creativity. Otherwise, we really are not living this reality. You know, we usually what we have are stories that we are telling ourselves and it's not connected to reality, right? Mm -hmm. And once we are more present and mindful and sharing our experience and what's happening really in the moment, we can really connect to what's happening and find new path going forward, otherwise it doesn't feel connected. 
I was surprised to find out, and last week I talked to Dr. Del Geste, who is uh, the former president of the American Psychiatric Association, and he's written a book about wisdom, and he says that wisdom is a trait. So if wisdom is a trait, it's not something that uh, you're necessarily born with, but that you can also develop because part of it is uh, environmental. So wisdom alongside empathy and compassion, these are things we can foster and develop within ourselves. So even if you have psychopathic tendencies, he, he told me, <laughs> you can still develop wisdom and empathy to a degree, lesser degree, of course, but still. So I think that is very encouraging. And uh, yeah. we can't just blame uh, our genes and say, well, I just was born without any feelings. I think that's that's not true because we can we can develop that and we should. I think it's our obligation to do so. That's for sure. You know, in order to connect to our inner wisdom, we need to practice. You can do it by meditation, by pausing, by listening mm -hmm. deeper. And you know, I think really in the Western world, we we learn to disconnect from our own feelings, right? Because we were afraid that it will flood us, especially in the workplaces, right? It mm -hmm. doesn't affect good in the ROI, so close it and leave it at home. But it doesn't work like this anymore because actually the traits that we are need nowadays that resides in our heart is the compassion, passion, creativity. And this is actually what differentiates us from the computers and the AI and the technology, right? So as human beings, we need to show up fully. And this is what we require to do nowadays, to connect to our wisdom, to connect to our heart, to, to lead from our heart. And then we can mm -hmm. connect to each and every one, right? Otherwise, the computer will uh, take our job. <laughs> And yeah, and so in, in interviews, for example, job interviews, they are highly valued, but uh, I read research that says actually they're not a good indicator of uh, whether the person will be a good employee or not. And we base so much importance on it that you have to do well, and if you don't do well, or if you don't give a good impression, you won't get the job, but it's actually the other stuff, like the experience, the education, and so on, that's more important. But one thing that does come through in the job interview is the personality. And I think that is something that is undervalued. And we, I think people should hire for personality and then all the other stuff could fall into place as long as you know there is an honesty. And that's the problem too, because a lot of people with narcissistic tendencies are good at projecting something or someone that they're not. And uh, sadly, a lot of leaders and uh, executives fall for that, fall for mm -hmm. that image. And so, so what can we do in that sense to make sure that, that we choose the correct candidate for the position? I think also nowadays people are not only looking on the CVs, they're really looking who is the person in front of them and having a, a small talk and a conversation with them to understand who is the person who's standing in front of me beyond his skills. Does he connect uh, aligned with the culture, with the people that are working here? Can we connect? I think it's a crucial element nowadays. Because, you know, skills we, we can require and we learn and it's also changing and we need to change and adapt. So I think what else we are looking now in for recruiting employees that are have a growth mindset, that they understand it will evolve and they will learn what they need to learn because it's changing. We also don't know what will be in five years from now, you know, what will be the skills that we need from our employees. But putting the energy on understanding who is the person in front of you and, you know, maybe enable a few more employees or managers to talk with them and see if what they think about him is connected to the company, to the culture. And it's, it's essential in order to have a good fit beyond the skills. So yes, it's only the, the technical skills, but it's not this anymore, only this.
and sometimes just the degree and it's like okay you have a degree from harvard and uh, i've met people and they are not very good in terms of other skills and in fact like it's just a very limited thing limited skills set of skills that they have and i think it's it's important to to look at the again a holistic view of the the people and just make sure okay they fall into place and one thing that's often uh, not valued enough is creativity and I think that is something that uh, people should look for more. People who are, apart from passionate and enthusiastic, but also creative. I think like in Google, they give them a problem solving, different problem solving, not from the, their area of expert to see how they reach this problem solving. So I think they do look at this aspect and creativity. It's essential nowadays, you know, we need to be creative and to you know, invent ourselves, our products, our offers. So. It's a really a crucial element. Yeah, I agree. What about you. a sense of humor? What do you think? That's how important. important. I think it's really important, you know, because as we are more, I think as we are more, um, I don't know if to say evolved, but as we are more present in uh, self-confidence, we can also laugh on ourselves. You know, it's not yeah. something that we need to show with our ego that we need to re be really coherent. And now we can laugh and have joy in a joyful workplace. It's really productive. So I believe that the humor, it's really a crucial element. Uh, to and I think people team. are afraid to, to, to show that often because they say, if I show a sense of humor, I'm not taken seriously and I have to be serious to be taken seriously. And I <laughs> think that is a misguided notion. And I just remember uh, years ago, I, I went for a job interview. I wasn't really serious about it but I just tried it out and it was for 911 dispatch and uh, in my quick question it was actually just lots of people there who, who got asked and I said well I have a sense of humor and then I thought uh, that's why they didn't call me back because there are certain no. areas that I don't think sense of humor yeah it would would help but <laughs> but I, I think it's important I mean that would have not been a job that would have uh, I would have continued anyway but it, it was just funny the reaction of the person too it's like okay <laughs> next <laughs> he didn't know what to do with it, you know. He's not connected to this part. I really believe that a joyful workplace and people that are, don't take themselves too much serious, it's a great, it's a strength, it's not a weakness. And people... And I see it as a matter of trust. If you don't have a sense of humor, I can't trust you because there is something that is, 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 is not in place, I think. I, I find that as, as, as a general rule for myself, a personal rule. I think yeah. that's hugely important. I think it's also important for you, you know, to feel com uh, comfortable next to the people that you are present. So it's mm -hmm. for you to say something, okay, is feeling comfortable. That's how I like to act in the world. So yes, it's a, a sign. I'd also uh, like to know about your influences. What are your ideological, philosophical influences? You mentioned Viktor Frankl. I'm a huge fan of Viktor Frankl and I love mm -hmm. his ideas. And um, um, anybody else that you can talk about that is influencing your worldview and your ideas here? Um, you know, I also practice in the Zen Buddhism. I also yes. come from the Buddhism. So, you know, uh, adopting a beginner's my dr john kabat-zinn is the yeah, I love him. father of mindfulness so i really love his uh, books and what he says about it so this is the place that i'm coming from this uh, my phd from the academia um I'm eclectic. I don't go with only one. I, I completely I, agree. I'm yeah. the same. Yeah, I, I don't like boxes because I find that limiting. But for me, hugely influential was uh, uh, Sigmund Freud. And uh, and he was actually governor of Hebrew University of Jer Jerusalem. So Einstein and Sigmund Freud and I just like impressed and you, you graduated from there. <laughs> yes, so yes. It's, uh, it's just uh, so amazing. <laughs> 
to, to, to be in a place like that. <laughs> yes, I also like Pema Chodorod. You know Pema Chodorod, a spiritual teacher. She wrote uh, When Things Fall Apart. I really love books mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. really a lot of wisdom she has there. So yes, you see, I read a lot of books and take it from different places and articles, uh, scientific articles and books. And yes, I think at the end of the day, they're all paths to the same place, you know. Yes. Yes, I, I, I like to see the connections between the things and say, okay, this is the same thing. This is related to this. And then kind of like you say, kind of create a hybrid of, of all those things. So you don't, you don't fall into a specific, I would say, trap or a limitation. Mm -hmm. And it's just accepting all the different uh, points of views, the things that serve and help you. I think that's important. Yeah. You know, like Carol Dweck talk about the growth mindset, right? And uh, mm -hmm. in the Buddhism, they talk about the beginner's mind, right? So mm -hmm. uh, seeing things in a fresh perspective. So I think it's kind of similar. You can find a, a similarity between different definitions at the end of the day are bringing the same essence. Yeah, wonderful wise words. Thank you very much for this interview. So the book is Mindfully Wise Leadership, The Secret of Today's Leaders. Uh, thank you very much for being here, Dr. Kensuk. It was a pleasure and honor to talk to you. Thank you very much. I enjoyed our conversation. Take care.